Lord Jesus, you are good. You are awesome. You are amazing. You, you blow us away, Lord, with your presence in our life and your blessing and calling us into this relationship with you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you that you are still the way, the truth, and the life. And he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life, for God's wrath abides upon him. But Lord, the wrath of God no longer abides on us because of our faith in you and our sins are forgiven through you. Lord, thank you. Lord, please minister through my words this morning. Holy Spirit, come rest upon us with an extra measure of opening our eyes, opening our hearts, and ministering to us this morning. We're, we're, we're here to engage. We're here to open our hearts. We're here to learn from you this morning. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said, amen. 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 You may have a seat. Well, we have finally made it to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. I want to tell you, it's kind of a funny story, but it, it's, just, it's just how God works in the life of a pastor. Uh, we're, we, we've come to Matthew chapter 28 this morning. There's 20 verses in this passage. And last Sunday night, I was like, okay, one more Sunday in the Gospel of Matthew, then we're going into the book of Acts. And uh, there's, only, there's 20 verses in Matthew chapter 28. And by Tuesday, in my studies of Sunday night, Monday, and studying into Tuesday, I'm gonna, actually going to break Matthew chapter 28 into three weeks. Into three weeks. We're gonna, today, we're going to study Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. And what I want to do this morning is the thrust of my message is I'm going to give you, this morning, I'm going to give you five impacts the resurrection should have on your life and your faith. That's from verses 1 through 10. And then next week, we're going to study verses 11 through 15. And next week is going to be really special. It's going to be a, 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 a Sunday message of apologetics. But next Sunday, I'm going to give you 10 evidences, 10 evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. And then on the third Sunday from now, we will, I will preach on the Great Commission and discipleship. So I don't know about you, but I'm so excited um, about today's message, Five Impacts of the Resurrection, but I'm really looking forward to next Sunday. I, I spent literally this past week preparing for both messages. I was so excited and just couldn't wait to get into it and just dive into it that I've, I've almost got um, next week's message prepared. But we need to know, we need to, um, we need to study apologetics. We need to understand our faith. You know, what are the evidences for the, for the resurrection of Jesus? Next Sunday, I'm going to talk about uh, what the skeptics and the atheists say. You know, they have what they call theories. They have the swoon theory. They have the hallucination theory. They have the alien theory. They got all these theories out there. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share with you their theories, but then I'm going to give you the 10 evidences for Jesus' resurrection. So, Looking forward to next Sunday. So with that said, let's dive into Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10 this morning. And let me uh, read the opening passage. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. 
The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Here it is, guys, verse 6. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. Let's, let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. As we study these first 10 verses and we look at the impact the resurrection should have on each of our lives, I pray, Lord, you do exactly that. Impact our hearts, impact our life, and impact our faith. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. So the title of my sermon this morning is The Impact of the Resurrection. My text is Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. And to start off by way of introduction, how has the resurrection of Christ impacted your life? How has the resurrection of Christ impacted your faith? What kind of, um, when you think about the resurrection in your mind, when you ponder the resurrection in your heart, what does it do to you? Better yet, if someone was to come up to you and ask you, why is the resurrection important? Or how has the resurrection impacted you? How would you articulate it? How would you be able to explain to someone the importance of the resurrection? And that's exactly what we're going to look at this morning. So let's look at these 10 verses. Let's read through them real quick, and I'll give you some commentary on them. And then we'll get into the five impacts of the resurrection. Chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. They did not begin this morning... Uh, this was not a joy-filled morning. They were not singing hallelujahs. They were not happy. They were crushed. These women were crushed by everything that they had witnessed on that dark, agonizing Friday. Now, after a long, painful Sabbath, I would venture to say probably the longest day of their life, that Saturday, pondering everything that had happened Friday, they are now making their way to the tomb. Verse 2. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. Verse 3, and his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. Man, I love how the Bible describes angels. You know, I think some people have this uh, false picture of angels in their minds. I know every Christmas when I would go to my grandmother's house, there would be these angels above the fireplace. And they had these beautiful white childlike faces and they were white and fluffy and they had these bodies and they were, um, just, they were real sweet looking. And they were very childlike looking. But friends, angel, angels are anything but childlike. Angels are heavenly warriors. They are heavenly warriors in the kingdom of God. They are ready to do battle against the forces of darkness and execute righteousness in the earth. They are messengers of God. Uh, just as lightning lights up the night sky when it flashes, so these angelic warriors lit up the garden tomb area. It was like a stage set for the greatest event in human history. Their appearance there at the empty tomb that day, it was radiating the glory of God. Because where are angels? They, they come from heaven. Angels are in the presence of God. 
And they soak in the glory of God and the presence of God. So when angels come to earth and minister, they bring his glory and they bring his power. And what an amazing way to announce the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4 says, The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The glory and, and, and the power of the angelic appearance is so overwhelming, the guards can't take it. And they, they collapse in fear. Maybe they went into cardiac arrest. I don't know. I hope they were okay. But that's what it was like encountering these angels. It was, it was scaring the eebie-jeebies out of them. They were like, ah, never seen this before. You know, one day we're going to see the glory of God in heaven. One day we're going to see the glory of the angels. And we're going to see the glory of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in the streets of gold. And I can't help but to think that we're going to do the same thing. We are just going to fall on our face and worship before the Lamb of God in the presence of Almighty God. It's coming, family. It's coming, and it's coming soon. Be ready. I believe we're at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And the angel said to the woman, to the woman Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. The ladies were scared. They were in shock. They are looking for their Lord. They are looking for their Lord. What courage these ladies had to venture out. They, you know, they, they couldn't mess with the body because of the Sabbath. And they wasted no time early on that Sunday morning to go and find their Lord they were not expecting a resurrection, okay? They were not expecting a resurrection. They were going with their spices to prepare the body for burial. They were not expecting a resurrection. Verse 6, here it is. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. In a single moment, these ladies go from the deepest darkest place of despair to the highest peaks of joy. The Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. God the Father has raised him. All of a sudden, their minds are just flooded with his whole life. Everything he said is true. Everything that he talked about in the kingdom is true. The Sermon on the Mount is true. He's the resurrection and the life. It's true. It validates everything he said. I think it's pretty awesome here. The thing I love about this passage, this, this text right here, is the angels announce Christ's resurrection not to the scribes, not to the Pharisees, not to the high priest, not to the governors, not even to the 11 disciples, but to these ladies, to these sweet, precious, beautiful ladies who are heartbroken and making their way to the tomb. These ladies loved Jesus, and they were devoted to him. It appears, in, in, when you look at all four Gospels, that Mary Magdalene appears to take the lead. Uh, Mary was from the seashore town of Magdala on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had set her free from seven demons. She had seen the power. She had experienced the power, and now she is seeing the power of God and his plan in the earth. The gospel with Christ appearing and the, the, the announcement being made to these ladies 
That is a statement that the gospel is truly for whosoever. God is no respecter of persons, man or woman, old or young, red, yellow, black or white. Jesus came for all, or as the King James Version says, whosoever. He's for all people, all people that will answer the call to repent of their sins and put their trust in Jesus. He welcomes all at the foot of the cross. He welcomes all at the empty tomb to come and partake of this eternal salvation, to come and partake of the great adventure, to come and partake of being a Christian and being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who else in this world has defeated death? Who else? Nobody. If you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, you are following the Lord God Almighty. You are following the creator of the universe. You are following the one who defeated death, hell, and the grave by his resurrection from the dead. It's beautiful. Verse 7. Go quickly and tell his disciples that... So here's the command. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly. And look at this. I love it, man. This next phrase, it just takes you there. It takes, it's, like, it's like you're, you're with them. The next phrase in verse 8. They, they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And they ran to report it to his disciples. This fear and great joy, it's this excitement. It's just like, oh my goodness, this is really real. I can't believe this is happening. I'll never forget the, the first time my daughter harvested a deer. We were sitting in a deer stand and that deer stepped out. And she's all calm, cool, and collective. And when that deer came out, she started shaking. Or when my son harvested his first, we're like, oh, there they are. There's all of a sudden this fear and this joy, like, this is really happening. That's what they were experiencing. It's, a, it's like buck fever. Despite uh, a sleepless and tiring 48 hours, they did not walk to where the disciples were. They ran with all their heart. They were so filled with joy. They were flooded with excitement and tears of joy streaming down their face. You could just see them. After everything they experienced on Friday, the joy of the resurrection was euphoric. The dopamine was just flowing through their brains. They were, they were in a heavenly state. They couldn't believe this was happening. They ran as fast as they could go to tell the disciples. But then the foot race comes to a screeching halt. Somebody is standing before them in their foot race. Were they running, looking to the ground, looking up, looking up, looking, looking down, looking up, looking around? And all of a sudden, there's this figure in front of them, and it causes them to come to a stop. Look at verse uh, 9. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. These ladies came to a screeching halt from their run, and they encountered the risen resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, the one that they loved and the one that they were devoted to, 
the one they had committed their lives to following, the one that had set Mary Magdalene free from the seven demons, the one that raised Lazarus, the one that raised Jairus' daughter, all these miracles, it was all coming to fruition. And here they bow in awe and reverence before the Lord Jesus Christ. And look, they're, um, they're clutching his feet. They, they're, they're bowed down to the ground, face down, proskuneo. They're, they're in a place of worship. And they are clinging to his feet, and they refuse to let go. Can you sense their joy? Can you sense their excitement? Can you sense how joy-filled they were? This was amazing. In verse 10 says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren. I love how Jesus, the disciples had abandoned him. They had ran and feared. They were scared. They were intimidated. And Jesus says, what? Go and tell my brethren. Go and tell my brethren. That word brethren, we know, we know the word brother comes from brethren, but it's a term of endearment. He's like, go and tell the men that I love also of what has happened. Go take my word to, to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Friends and family, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. You got, I mean, you can, put, you can put them both there, the death and the resurrection. They go together, okay? But, the, but if Jesus has not been risen from the dead, our faith is futile, as Paul says in Corinthians. And, and we are without hope and we're not forgiven of our sins. But because he is risen, he has uh, been raised from the dead. That is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Listen to Dr. Henry Morris. Dr. Henry Morris says, and I quote, The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. And I'll talk more about that next week with the ten evidences of his resurrection. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is a false religion. If it did take place, then Jesus Christ is God, and the Christian faith is absolute truth. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, one of my life verses, for nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. The truth is invincible. In other words, it's true whether you believe it or not. Accept it or reject it, but it's still the truth, and he's still on the throne. Dr. Steve Lawson says this, The stone was rolled away from the tomb, not to let Jesus out, but to let the world in. And when I read that quote from him this week, I got to thinking about it. God wants us, by faith, to look into the tomb. Now, when I say look into the tomb, he wants us to investigate it. He wants to look at the application of the resurrection from the dead. That's why we're going to spend a couple weeks on the resurrection. We want to know what took place there. We want to know the impact on our life, and we want to know the evidence of the resurrection. So we are going to, as Dr. Steve Lawson says, we are going to look at it closely in the rest of this message and next week's message. So what I want to do now is I want to present to you five ways the resurrection impacts your life and your faith. They go hand in hand, your life, your faith. How does the resurrection of Jesus, that he was dead, wrapped in linen, in a 
tomb. It was sealed. He was dead. And then God the Father reached down and raised him from the dead. That resurrection, that bodily resurrection, going from death to life, it's a miracle. It's a miracle of God that he has no problem doing. If he can speak the world into existence, raising Jesus from the, Jesus from the dead is not a problem. But I want to give you five impacts of, the, of his resurrection in your life. And number one, the number one impact of Jesus' resurrection is this. It proves Jesus is who he says he is. If you go back and look at verse 6, it says, He is not here, for he has risen. And look at the phrase, just as what? He said. Just as he said. The resurrection proves that Jesus is who he says he is. You see, in the first century and throughout history, many have come claiming to be from God. All the founders of the major religions claim to be from God. And I'll get into some of those guys next week. But herein lies the test of who is true. All those who claim to be from God, they came, they lived, and they died, and they stayed dead. Okay? But Jesus claimed to be God. He came, he lived, he died, and he did not stay dead. It's one thing to say it, it's another thing to prove it. And that's exactly what Jesus did. His resurrection from the dead proves he is who he says he is. Okay? R.C. Sproul says this, The resurrection was the Father's way of authenticating all the truths that were declared by Jesus. His word, his words in the gospel, his, in, his words inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, through John, through Peter, through James, throughout the words, they are absolute truth. And his resurrection is the validation of biblical truth. Everything Jesus said about the glory of heaven is absolute truth. Everything Jesus said about the torment of hell, weeping, gnashing of teeth, and the intense suffering is absolute truth. Uh, the church being the bride of Christ, everything he talks about that in the scripture is absolute truth. His rapture and his return Everything that Jesus said about that and everything the Bible says about that is absolute truth. And the evidence of that absolute truth is the resurrection from the dead. It is the stamp. It is the historical event that took place on planet Earth. You know, I've been to, I've been to Israel. I've been to Jerusalem. And, and, and everywhere Jesus did anything, they built a church there. If Jesus sneezed, they built Church of the Sneeze. Okay, I'm kidding. They didn't build Church of the Sneeze. But the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is built there today over the site of Calvary and the empty tomb. The Church of the Nativity. Everywhere he did everything. This, this Jerusalem, this, these accounts in the Bible, these are not Narnia. These are not the underworld. This is a real geographical place on planet Earth. They are true historical events. It's all 100% accurate. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the bedrock of everything he said being the absolute truth that you can build your life on. The second impact of the resurrection. The first, Jesus is who he says he is. Second one is the resurrection 
completed the work on the cross. Friends and family, you cannot, I repeat, you cannot separate the cross and, and, and the resurrection, okay? You have to have both, okay? He died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, but if he's not risen from the dead, how is he not God? Or vice versa, if he didn't die on the cross but he rose from the grave, you know, you get into a, a mess of thinking. But what you need to understand is that the death and the resurrection, they go together. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He says, Romans 4, 25, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions, that's the first half of the verse, uh, talking about Jesus' death on the cross. And then the second half of Romans 4, 25 is, and was raised because of our justification. The cross and the resurrection they go together. It's one complete event uh, process by which God saves us through his death, burial, and his resurrection. Jesus Christ defeated death, hell, and grave. He rose from the grave. He steps into eternity, and he invites all people to come and follow him from now until eternity. The resurrection finalized and sealed. Uh, it sealed the work on the cross, meaning this, there will be no other way to find forgiveness of sin. There is no other way on planet earth, past, present, or future, that any man can find forgiveness of sin other than through Jesus' death on the cross. And the resurrection seals that. Your sins will not be forgiven by giving to charity. You give to charity, praise the Lord. Give lots. Bless charities as much as you can. But you won't, your sins won't be forgiven that way. Your sins will not be forgiven by good works. Be rich in good works, but understand they don't forgive you of your sin. Uh, you will not be forgiven by joining or going to church. You need to go to church. You need to join a church. You need to be a part of a fellowship. But that won't forgive you of your sins. Uh, you, can, you, you, you will not be forgiven of sin by confessing your sin to a priest in a box. Uh, that, will not help, that will not enable your sins to be forgiven. The only thing that will forgive you of your sins is trusting in the shed blood of Jesus and his death on the cross. Only by trusting in Jesus can our sins be completely forgiven. And the evidence, he sealed it through the resurrection. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, not in the church or not in good works or not in, you fill in the blank. It's in Christ Jesus, okay? The empty tomb testifies the cross is complete, meaning if you are born again and you are trusting in Christ, I got great news for you, brothers and sisters. You are completely forgiven of everything because of Jesus. And the seal, what seals it is his resurrection from the dead. The third impact of Jesus' resurrection on your life and your faith is this. Jesus' resurrection from the dead, it assures us he will come again. He will come again. He's going to split that eastern sky. He's going, to come, he's going to come again. One day um, in the future, 
Millions, if not billions of people are going to instantly disappear on planet Earth. We call it the rapture of the church. Jesus Christ is coming back. And all those that have been born again, in a, in a nanosecond like that, he's going to take them to heaven to be with him. The resurrection of Jesus, listen to me closely, it unlocks the mystery of the future. Yes, that resurrection of Jesus from the empty tomb, it unlocks the mystery of the future. Our world is on a conveyor belt. And each day, you and I in the world is getting closer and closer to his return and to that day of eternity. And because Jesus rose from the grave, we know he will come again. Dr. David Jeremiah, which I highly recommend, has done a lot of great work on the doctrine of the last days, eschatology, and the rapture of the church. He is just spot on. He nails it. Love that guy. But Dr. David Jeremiah says this, there are 1,845 references in Scripture to the return of Christ. Dr. Jeremiah says there are 17 Old Testament books that refer to the return of Christ and 23 of the 27 New Testament books uh, refer to Jesus Christ returning to this world. He is going to come again. Now, let's look at the, the signature passage. This is the cornerstone passage for the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses uh, 16 through 18. I'm going to read it, then I'm going to come back and give some commentary. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. This future event where there's going to be this mass disappearance of people says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. What the apostle Paul is talking about here is what people commonly refer to the rapture. And a, a common criticism of it is, that word rapture is not in the Bible. Where do you get that word rapture? It's not in the Bible. Well, the word trinity is not in the Bible either, but we believe in the trinity. The word Bible is not in the Bible, but we believe in the Bible. The word rapture, it comes from, look at verse 17. I, sh I should have circled it. But in verse 17, it says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's that word, caught up. In the Latin Vulgate translation of our Bible, it, it is where this word comes from. It's raptura. And it means the snatching away. So if you don't want to call it the rapture, call it the catching away or the removal. It's an it's, it's instant removal, but the word rapture comes from the, word, the, the Latin word raptura, which comes out of the Latin Vulgate, and that's how we get the word rapture. But notice in verse 16, it says, um, for the Lord himself. For the Lord, the Lord himself. The Jesus that died on the cross, that took a shellacking for you and I, the Jesus that rose from the grave early on that Sunday morning is going to come again, and it's going to be him. It's going to be Jesus. It's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming again. And it says uh, he will descend from heaven. In other words, 
Jesus is in heaven today. The Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in a place called the New Jerusalem, the third heaven, the holy city that's talked about in Scripture. It's this glorious city, this, this beautiful place called heaven, and the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And sometime, I think, I think we're very close to it, very close to it, God the Father is going to turn to his son Jesus and say, it's showtime. And he is going to send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, descend from heaven. He is going to send him back to planet earth. And he is going to rapture, catch away, remove the body of Christ. And then what happens? The world goes into a seven-year great tribulation period. And in that seven-year great tribulation period, God is going to pour out his wrath and God's going to turn his attention back to the nation of Israel. And there's going to be a mass revival. The book of Revelation talks about it. There's going to be 144,000 Jews evangelizing the earth, bringing the good news of the gospel. But this rapture is promised. And then, um, and also notice too, um, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Notice it says, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, you know, people like to criticize the doctrine of the rapture, that secret return, that quiet return, that, that they, they call it the secret return. There's going to be nothing secret or quiet about the rapture. It says, with a shout. It's going to be like those, uh, those soldiers on, 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 on that resurrection morning. People are going to be freaked out. People are going to be scared. There's going to be a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. I, I did that right. Praise the Lord. I was, I was scared how that was going to come out. Thank you. Thank you. But it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. He will come again. It's gonna, and then notice verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. After Paul explains this doctrine of the rapture, he says, now take these words and comfort people with them. Friends, you're going to see Jesus. You're going to see the author and perfecter of your faith. One day, you are going to be rewarded for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. One day, you are going to be rewarded for denying your flesh. One day, you are going to be rewarded for serving Christ, okay? This is not all for nothing, okay? There's a reward at the end. Friends, be encouraged. Whatever you're going through, whatever tragedy, difficulty, whatever thing that you may be experiencing in life, understand this, the best is yet to come, okay? This is the absolute worst it's going to get on, uh, here on planet Earth. The best is yet to come when Jesus Christ returns. So friends, be encouraged. Verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. Lord, I did it. I encouraged them. It's going to be awesome, mind-blowing, beautiful, and glorious. We call it the rapture. What does the Lord's prayer say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray and we look forward. The resurrection of teach, teaches us, my, uh, this, I believe this is number three, the resurrection teaches us Jesus will come again. The fourth one, um, the impact of the resurrection, of Jesus' resurrection, it defends I really, I love this one. 
as, as I, I found 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but it was just like, whoa, that's good. I got to share that to the church. But the impact of Jesus' resurrection, it defends the authority of the Bible. Listen to what the apostle says by the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. And what the apostle does is he connects the authority of Scripture with the resurrection of Jesus. It's real sweet, real beautiful. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was, look at it, I underlined that one, hallelujah. He was what? Raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Okay? Jesus, Paul connects the resurrection of Christ to the authority of the Bible. Meaning that our faith in the resurrection of Jesus, it rests in the authority of the Bible. Friends, you and family, you can build your life on this book. You can build your faith on this book. God will, not let you, God will not let you down when you trust in him and you follow him. And your faith through the word of God, which Ephesians says the word of God is what? The sword of the spirit. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. is his word and it points us to the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus, the historical truth of Jesus' resurrection teaches us to believe, to love, to trust, to study, and to defend God's word. They go hand in hand. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17 says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. Scripture, the Word of God, it teaches us. In other words, it educates our minds. It educates our hearts. We need the Word of God in our hearts and our minds, not politics, not ideology. We need the pure Word of God to filter our brains and filter our hearts and teach us. It corrects us. You know, we all get off we all get off path sometimes. We all get off in our theology. We all get off in our walk with Christ. And the purpose of you getting into the word of God is so that when you do go astray, it will correct you. It will bring you back in a line. That's the purpose of the word of God. He says it there uh, for correction and then training, training. You are soldiers in the army of God. And our doctrine, our manual, our war book is the word of God. It trains us, it teaches us, and it trains us in righteousness. And ultimately, this teaching, this correcting, and this training points us to the resurrection. Friends, God's word is sure and it's unchanging. And it will endure long after you and I are gone. Now, some people will choose to deny some people will choose to argue against his word. I found this verse two weeks ago, and it just blew me away. I want to show it to you. Actually, I found it on October 30th. I got up on October 30th, and I was like, okay, what do I want to read this morning? I was like, it's October 30th. Let's read Proverbs chapter 30. So I was, in my devotion time, I was reading uh, Proverbs 30 on October 30th, and I came across this verse. 
Listen, look, listen to it carefully and let it soak in. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his word or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. God says in his word, this should be a bow shot across the world for all people, the church, the world, the philosophers, the scholars, the politicians, to any and all people. If you choose to go against his word, what does Proverbs 30 verse 6 say he will do? He will prove you to be a liar. That is a path you don't want to go down. That is a path you don't want to go down. As believers, we humbly submit to the word of God, just like Mary did in her her Magnificat when she said, be it unto me according to your word. That's how strong and that's how powerful this word is. The creator of the universe, almighty God, is behind this book, the Bible. And we dare ever not tamper with it, but we just love it, preach it, teach it, and and let it build our lives. The Bible is a vast treasure of God's truth, meant to be cherished and loved. And the foundation of the scriptures, I want to bring this back into my fourth point, the foundation of the scriptures is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then finally, my fifth impact of the resurrection of Christ is this. And this is probably the most important, most applicable, is this. It is his invitation to you. Him coming out of that tomb, him rising from the grave, establishing it to all the world, for all the world to know, the resurrection is Jesus' invitation for you and I to come and follow him. Come and follow him. Commit your life to following him. Live for him. And he will make your path straight. The resurrection is the Lord Jesus' invitation for you to become a born-again believer and to receive new life. He don't want to make you religious. He don't want to make you about tradition. He wants to have a living relationship with you. You know, I saw an old bumper sticker that says, I'm not religious, I just love the Lord. That's what he wants you to be. He wants you to receive him. The, the, the resurrection from the dead, his resurrection is an invitation to leave the world behind and follow him with all your heart. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus is an invitation for you to repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. And he will give you a new heart. The resurrection of Jesus is an invitation to have a lifelong Savior, friend, and Lord who says it three times in the New Testament, he will never leave you nor forsake you. So not only is he, is he Lord of our hearts, Lord in our minds, but he is with you. He is dwelling on the inside of you by the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He'll lead you and guide you down the path. When you get off, he'll, he'll bring you back in line. He'll encourage you. He'll love you. He'll come 
uh, and, and make his abode with you in your heart. It's, it's having this deep, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This love relationship that produces obedience, that produces um, submission to his authority and to his rule. That's what the resurrection is an invitation. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is an invitation to you to surrender your life to him. Have you accepted that invitation? Have you opened your heart to him and say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my rebellion. I am sorry for my sin. I repent and turn away from it and I place my trust in you. If you have received, repent, believed, trust, loved him, you have answered that call. You've answered that invitation that was initiated at the empty tomb. Have you done that? Secondly, who do you know in this world who hasn't? Who do you know that needs to know this beautiful gospel message where they can find forgiveness of all their sin, where they can find new life, where they can have hope, where they can have this living, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. You know, my prayer is that not only are we an expository Bible teaching church, but we are a church that loves the community. And we love the community by telling them about Jesus and serving them meals and taking care of them and being there. But we tell them about this beautiful, awesome relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. And we're about pouring into you Training, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, the theonostos, the, the breathed out word of God so that you will be equipped by the Holy Spirit. If you're here and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, you're welcome to come up front, but coming to the altar uh, does not save someone, but you repenting of your sin and putting your trust in Christ is what saves you. It's you opening your heart and saying, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Now, if you want somebody to pray with you and you need counseling for salvation, by all means, come forward. But understand, it starts with you in your heart receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. My hope and prayer is that all of you guys and those listening online will do exactly that and begin this amazing adventure of following the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That, my friend, is the impact of the resurrection of Christ in our life. It brings us hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I I thank you for the resurrection. I pray, Lord, that you will Open our hearts and let us see the impact that you want to have in our lives because you rose from the grave. You are the resurrection and the life. You are eternal life. And I pray, Lord, that we will call upon your name, that we will look to you And Father, for my brothers and sisters who have done that and they are saved and they are born again, I pray that you encourage them, Lord. 
to take their eyes off their situation, the difficulties they're facing, and help them, Lord, to put their eyes on you and help us to live with an eternal perspective. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the resurrection. We are building our lives upon the truth of your death, your resurrection, and the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Help us all to grow. Lord, help us to be that tree planted by the stream. Help us to be fruitful in our love and devotion to you. And help us, Lord, to touch our coworkers, our neighbors, and all those around us with the grace and truth that's in Jesus Christ. For we love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.